hands, who here is ready for Christmas? Ready to eat already? <laughs> ready for uh, some Christmas crack? Anybody like Christmas crack? The puffcorn, puffcorn drizzled in almond bark and white chocolate? Come on. Yeah? That's why my family did a weight loss challenge from Thanksgiving to Christmas, so we can get ready for all those uh, enjoyable treats. Um, who here has done shopping already? Yep. I told Michaela, I said, you know, as many Amazon boxes have shown up, we might just get invited to the wedding of Jeff Bezos, him and his fiance. you know, they got engaged, because uh, we're definitely paying for the catering or something at this particular point. Uh, but let's just face it, here we are, it's Christmas time of the year. It's already December the 3rd, and we come into this Advent time. If you've never been part of our church here, we always like to preach through Christmas um, during this time of Advent. And Advent is just an old term for waiting, all right, as we wait the arrival or the coming of our King. But it's kind of hard for us to really get into that space, isn't it? He's already come. I mean, it's really hard to kind of prepare our hearts or shift our hearts into a season of waiting because, I mean, we wait for that special gift, maybe, or we wait for that Amazon package to show up, or we wait for the delayed mail or the delayed, uh, you know, delivery to finally come. But it's hard, I think, for us because we live in such a society of consumerism and materialism uh, and commercialization of Christmas that there really isn't any grounding or just solemn waiting this time because we're all exchanging gifts and we're all wondering well what do you want what do you want we've got to get the perfect gift and and we're all running ragged to all of these christmas gatherings and we've got you know we've got the list here for these people did we get everything on their list did we obey the christmas wish list you know christmas wish list from the kids or the grandkids Did did we just fill their hearts and make them so happy this christmas time but here's what i want us to do i want us to try the best we can to position ourselves in the place of these people. When I say these people, I mean the people that longed to see the coming Emmanuel. The people who for generations were promised he's coming. And they would live and they would die. They would tell their kids he's coming. They would tell their grandkids he's coming. Here we are at the end of Malachi chapter 4. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The name Elijah is, uh, it is, some, some scholars believe it is a name given, not the proper name, but a name given to the coming prophet that we would know as John the Baptist. That he would come before the day of the Lord to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, if you were to turn your Bible just one page, let's just all do that. You might have one or two blank pages, so if you have some blank pages, just kind of get to the point here. You come into the next book of the Bible, which is what? Matthew. We just turned one or two, maybe three pages at most, and here we are at the gospel according to Matthew. And here we read... We read the gospel according to Mark. We read the gospel according to Luke. We read the gospel according to John. The gospel according to Luke has the most detailed story when it came to the birth of Christ. But the Gospel of Matthew gives us the, the genealogies, but then also gives us the story of how Jesus came. We just flipped over two pages, yet we traveled 400 plus years. 400 plus years. 
So here, I want to attempt the best we can to put ourselves into that position right now. Imagine Christ has not come. And you have been promised since the garden that there would be one to come to crush your enemy. And what's funny is, whenever you read the old prophets, the Old Testament, throughout the the Old Testament, you read the prophets warning the people to turn from their wickedness and to obey God, and God would deliver them, and God would save them, and God would redeem them. You often see the same nature of people today. Let's just be honest. All of us live following God. Life happens. We find ourselves, maybe some will call it, you know, falling off the bandwagon. Some will call it backsliding. Some will call it in a season of rebellion. Regardless is, none of us perfectly obey the Lord all the time. But we're reminded of his perfect faithfulness to always redeem us and to deliver us from whatever it is we go through. Just as the Old Testament prophets would warn the people that their wickedness is going to lead to their destruction, and if they do not repent, God will utterly destroy them. It's amazing how we see all the way back from Genesis 3 when sin entered the world, God was promising one to come that would deliver his people. They would save his people from what they have done up to that point. In Genesis 3, it was just obeying the command of the Lord, but over time it was one sinful act, one heinous act, over and over and over. All throughout humanity we have seen the very nature of people is, as I said last week or the week before, evil. That is who you and I are. You and I, at our hearts, are evil. You and I, in and of our own hearts, are wicked. You and I, in and of our own hearts, are rebellious. So let us just try to see ourselves in the people of Matthew chapter 1. Because for generations they have been promised this coming Messiah. Yet here's what they've actually seen up to this point. They've seen prophet after prophet warning of doom and gloom. They've seen their land destroyed by oppressors. They've been enslaved. They've lost their property. Their families have been killed or just divided. Yet they're always reminded of God's faithfulness and God's promise to come. Let me just, let's just be honest. Up to this point, they're probably pretty disappointed, wouldn't you say? I mean, they have lost their land time after time. They've been exiled. They've come back from exile. They've been delivered. Then they're exiled again, and now they're being oppressed. And and then their land is destroyed. Their cities are burned. Their families are divided. People are killed, yet they're told over and over and over that God is going to send this one. I would imagine the people walking around Nazareth before the birth of Christ, were probably a little frustrated, disappointed, brokenhearted that God has not been true to His Word. Well, one thing that we can learn from that is that God's timing is not our timing. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And God's plans are not our plans. But we can also make out of it one of the most popular Old Testament prophecies about the birth of Christ is found in Micah chapter 5. When he is prophesying that in Bethlehem, Bethlehem was a very small city that wasn't even recorded or to be considered as part of the clans of Judah or of Israel. Out of that little bitty city, the birth of David, the birth town and hometown of David, out of that little bitty city would come the one that would reign over Israel forever. Micah chapter 5 gives us this hope of one to come, yet they would be utterly destroyed by the Assyrian army. 
So in this season of pain and suffering, God tells them, hey, there's one going to come. But it was hundreds of years later. And then as they are told by the prophet, hey, one's coming in Bethlehem. One's coming in Bethlehem. Then they would see their land destroyed by the Assyrians. And now we find ourselves in this particular moment. Let's just be honest. We've all experienced seasons of pain, right? You ever hurt? You ever faced hardships? You ever faced difficulties outside of your control? Things that you could no longer fix? Circumstances that you could no longer influence? Relationships that you could no longer reconcile? Finances that you could no longer fix or repair? We've all been there. We've all been in seasons of hardships, pains, and sufferings. And it's in those moments that we're reminded, even though you may go through these things, God will still be faithful. God will still be with you and God will still be for you. So all of us share in common the fact that we've all suffered. All of us share in common the fact that we have felt pain one way or another. All of us share in common that we have experienced some form of hardship or oppression. And now we see the people, after the Assyrians destroyed them, here we are, we go all the way to the night in which Christ was born, in which the people of Israel are now oppressed by the Romans. And in Matthew chapter 1, we see that Jesus, the birth of Jesus, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, so we're talking young, kind of like a fiancé at this point, they came together and she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name what? Jesus. Yahshua. Jesus. Why would they call him Jesus? For he will save his people from their sin. Just as God promised all the way back in the garden, They would send one to save his people. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Now, when you go over to Luke chapter 2, or sorry, Luke chapter 1, I'm just going to read this in the sixth month. Uh, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And when he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So right away we see that what was in the womb was important to God, which should be important to us. In the womb was important to God, therefore it should be important to us. And then he goes on to say, he will be what? Great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? 
forever. Just as Micah said, there's one going to come out of Bethlehem and he will establish himself over the people of Israel for how long? Forever. Now the angel's telling both Joseph and Mary that this one is going to come. He will be mighty. He will be called the son of the Most High and he will sit on the throne forever. And Mary said, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will, called, will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, for she was also barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. So now if we could look at what is to come. What is to come on this one night in Bethlehem? Just as Micah said, there's going to be one come in Bethlehem. But here is what, we've, what we struggle with. What the people in this particular day struggled with. They were expecting Jesus to rise to power and to deliver them from the oppression that they faced. Just like you and I, if we aren't careful, we will find ourselves do the same thing, right? We know that Jesus came to do what? As the angel said, to save his people from their sin. We will call upon the name of the Lord to save us from our horrible co-workers. Right? Or to deliver us from our angry relatives. Or we could get more serious and to save us from our poor spending habits. Or our inability to say no and overeat and be a glutton. Or our lack of discipline and be lazy in all that we do. That's what we'll call upon the name of the Lord for. To redeem us from things that we do very poorly. We will, we will call upon his, his name. And those are, we'll call upon his name to restore relationships that we have no desire to actually fix. But we just hope that peace and perfection will come back. We'll call upon his name whenever we need help. But here is what we struggle with. You and I can sometimes be exactly like these people. And hopeful that Jesus will come and do for us what we want. Here's what I want to encourage you with. Jesus has no desire to always give you what you want. Alright? I'm sorry to break it to you. Especially this time of year you want that gift or you want that truck or you want that watch. You want that tablet. You want that. You want that. Jesus has no desire to give you always what you want. But Jesus has the most desire to give you and has already given to you everything you will need. Everything. So what did Jesus bring on that night in Bethlehem when the promised one would come, not just in some political power or riches or worldly popularity, but born in a manger, wrapped in some cloths, lying where animals would typically roam? Well, Jesus brought you and me hope. So this first week, I really want you to just, as you sit with your family this week, I don't know, maybe you guys bought an Advent calendar. Maybe you're going to do a family reading or a couple study. I know I mentioned it months, maybe a month or two ago. The Daily Grace Co. has an incredible Advent series or Advent study that both Michaela and I purchased one each, and then we purchased the family devotional, which begins tonight. Um, that will be what we do every night, is to read through this Advent study. We'll do it every night to just remind the girls that the coming of Christ was for them too. And that they need him just as much as I need him. And that they need him just as much as the uh, horrible sinners down the road need him. But to remind them that Jesus came and when he came, he brought you and me hope. So what kind of hope did he bring? That 
I hope it doesn't rain whenever we have plans. That I hope the Chiefs get a real quarterback next year. What? That was not my note, sorry. Somebody put, somebody put that in there. That we hope that our finances exponentially grow. That we hope the business takes off. That we hope our relationship is restored. That we hope that our spouse will, will actually meet all of our needs. That we hope that the job will pan out. That we hope the economy won't crash. That we hope everyone hopes that interest rates will go down. Right, We have all of these hopes, and Jesus did not come to give us earthly hopes that we're kind of here today and gone tomorrow. He came to give us an eternal hope. Let's just address the fact that all of us share in one thing in common. We are all sinners, all of us. Some of us are redeemed sinners, reconciled to God. Some of us in this room, if we were to be honest, are still actively comfortably, intentionally walking as sinners, maybe with no desire or very little desire to truly change our hearts, truly repent of our sin. But in Genesis 3, when Jesus was promised by God to those in the garden, we have to understand that Jesus came to bring you and me hope, hope of in this way, that now there is a bridge that Jesus has made that can cover the chasm created by our sinfulness. Because your sinfulness actually separates you from God. My sinfulness separates me from God. But when I call upon the name of the Lord and I am saved from my sin, I am now redeemed, reconciled, made new, as the Apostle Paul wrote, that you and I are new creations in Christ. So that we know that when Jesus came, he didn't just, you know, join the two chasms together of sinful man and holy God, but then he also created a bridge that we could walk on for the rest of our lives, and that that was only made by the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. So here's what I want you to do. This Christmas, I want you to try the best you can to position yourselves into the people of that day. And then you might have a a little more appreciation for the coming birth of our King. Because, let's be honest... As I mentioned earlier, this is a commercialized, consumerism-driven time of year. The last few days for the next few weeks will be all about online deals, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, sale after sale after sale, perfect gift after perfect gift, commercial after commercial to, to entice you to get the perfect gifts. But if I could try my best to challenge you over the next few weeks that you spend with your family, with your spouse, even by yourself, to ground yourself at the foot of the manger and to see the Christ born as your saving hope. Because without the birth of that baby, you and I are hopeless. Generation after generation after generation throughout the Old Testament, prophets would warn them and tell them to repent of their sin or that God would destroy them or God would punish them or God would cause them to be handed over to their enemy. And what do we see over and over and over? The people would listen or the people would just continue to live in their rebellion, ultimately leading to their destruction or to their oppression or to their enslavement. So what we can conclude is this, that in our hearts... All of us have hearts that rebel against God. You and I cannot glorify God living in a sinful state. Regardless of how good we are, regardless of how sacrificial we may be, we do not glorify God any way as living as sinners apart from Him. So Jesus not only gives us a heavenly home to look forward to, 
Jesus doesn't just give us someone that walks with us through the seasons of life that we walk through or, or helps us and guide us during the circumstances in which we face. Jesus actually provides for us a new heart that can now glorify God and a heart that actually desires to live in relationship with him. See, apart from Christ, we have no desire to glorify God. We want to walk in and give into the desires of our flesh, the lusts of the world, We want to do as the world does. But because of Christ, we now have hope, not just of heaven, but that you and I can live in a right relationship with God now. And maybe for the first time this Advent season, this Christmas season, this December, you can actually praise the Lord because you are now given an opportunity not just to call heaven your home one day, but to actually walk in a relationship with a holy, righteous God. That should give you hope because you and I, apart from Christ, are rightful recipients of his wrath in full. His wrath in full is to be eternally separated from him in a place we call hell. That's what you and I are actually deserving of. But thanks be to God that Christmas happened 2,000 years ago in which Jesus would come, born of a virgin, laying in a manger, rise up to live a perfect, sinless life, offer himself on a cross, be buried in a tomb, and then on the third day rise. Because apart from him, you and I are hopeless. Apart from him, we would pray Santa Claus and that's it. Apart from him, we would have fun, we would give in to the desires of our flesh, we would have no understanding of morality or sinfulness or evil or wicked. Apart from him, we would just continue to walk in our sinfulness, calling it normal, and then wondering why things don't go our way in the end. But because of Christ, people like you and me, I mean, let's be honest, people like you and me, can call ourselves right can call ourselves part of God's children. I'll be the first to admit I have no business to call myself his child. Who here has the right to call yourself, really? Or who here would admit with me that you and I have no desire, or we have no means to call ourselves his children? But thanks be to God that that little bitty village of Bethlehem housed a child that we would call Jesus, who had come to what? Save us from our sin. So this Advent, I want to encourage you not just to ground yourself looking at the pretty tree, not just to look at all the lights that you drive by, not just to envision all of the cookies that you get to bake and all of the treats you'll get to share, not just to picture all of the great meals you're going to enjoy with family and with friends. And I, I, I want you to be grounded to understand That this Christmas, if never before, you should praise God for the living eternal hope found in Christ. For that, for through Him, you have a means to be saved from your sin. That alone should give you reason to praise God. Christmas should be every day at that point. I mean, if you, if we want to get real spiritually mature here, we ought to live as if Christmas is a daily occurrence. Because you and I are given an opportunity daily to walk in relationship with the Lord, to repent of our sin, to be exposed by the Spirit of God, to to grow spiritually mature and walk in step with Him, and then to share Him with others. And you and I in Christ are to be new creations. 
And one thing that I am looking forward to this particular year as I try my best to picture the, the people in that day and the disappointment they may have walked with. But then word would get around that there was this baby born in a manger. And this word would get around that this child would grow into a teenager. Word would then get around that this teenager grew into a man that would preach with authority and possess power like never seen. And would call himself God. This man, the word would get around in which people would cling to this man to be their only hope. Let's just face it. Some of us live through seasons where it does not look very pretty. Where we never pictured the things would turn out the way they did. To where we never would have seen that coming. Most of us, if you've lived over the age of like 14 have lived through seasons or are walking through circumstances right now that look pretty hopeless. Or maybe one day you'll find yourself there to where you don't have the answers to give. You don't understand why this has come to this particular moment. But because of Christ, you and I can have hope even when we see the pain and sufferings continue. I want to just remind you of what happened in Micah chapter 5. It was prophesied that this one would come in Bethlehem. But it was generations from them. They would see the Assyrians destroy them. And then their descendants would see the Romans oppress them. And then God still promised that there was one to come. So even if you find yourself this Christmas in a season of suffering or in a season of hardship, just know that there is one that you can call on and trust that will guide you, save you, and redeem you from whatever else you see. And his name is Jesus. So here's what I want to do to end today. Because I'm going to tell you, as we prepare for Christmas in our home, as I get older, I guess I get a little more emotional because I understand the weight of my sin. Maybe I get a little more emotional because I'm living with... Six, seven girls. (laughs) But I come to understand that this Christmas, I'm going to praise God for the hope, not just of heaven, but the hope of living in a right relationship with Him. Because I don't think we understand just how blessed we are to call ourselves His children. When will we know? When we see him face to face. And when we see millions of people cast away from his presence. That's when, maybe the only time we will truly understand. We can try the best we can. But in that particular moment, we will be so thankful that we are his children. That we aren't going where they're going. You ever remember the kid getting called out of class, going to the principal's office? And you should have been. But you got by and you thought, boy, thank God I ain't going where they're going. It's exactly how it's going to be. So if I could encourage you to do one thing this Christmas, is to praise the Lord for the hope that He has given, not just of heaven, but to walk with Him now, to be redeemed now, to be a saved, born-again believer and follower of Him now, to understand that you can have hope even if it hurts right now. 
even if it looks hard right now, even if you don't have the answers right now, even if you can't repair it all right now, even if you don't understand what tomorrow will bring, to know that you have hope that even though you may not see heaven for a while, he is still here with you now. That's why I'm going to praise the Lord this Christmas, that I have hope that I can actually, as horrible as a man that I've been, call myself His Son. Because I can call myself His Son, I don't care what you call me. I don't care what the world calls me. I don't care what people will call you. If you can call yourself His Son or His Daughter, it doesn't matter what else people say, think, or will do to you. You are saved, redeemed, and protected by the Most High. And you can find yourself this Christmas praising His name, even if it hurts. Praising His name, even if this is hard. Praising His name, even if you don't know all the answers, because you have a living hope in Christ. And because of that, I will praise Him evermore. That someone like me, who was once dead in my sins and trespasses, could be raised to life in Christ. Let's pray.